This is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. We're thinking about impossible things today, and uh, we had a great children's message earlier about impossible things, asking kids, what, what do you think is impossible? And the very first thing that came to somebody's mind was, it's impossible to lift an elephant. Who know, who know where that was coming? Which led to, it's impossible to get an elephant in your car, which led to, it's impossible to get a lion in your car. That one might be possible, I don't know. Uh, I've got some other ideas about things that might be impossible for us, but I want you to talk to your neighbor for just a minute about something that is impossible. Tell your neighbor something that you think is impossible, okay? Go ahead and discuss that real quick. It's impossible to get along without your phone. Yeah? I did discover that it is impossible to touch your ear with your tongue. Did you know that? And you can try it if you want. But as soon as she said that, it dawned on me that it is possible for you to touch your neighbor's ear with your tongue. (laughs) I don't know why I thought of that. Easter is a day of impossibilities, and we're going to talk about that here by using a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible or your phone or your device for reading Scripture, I think it's great to follow along. I'm going to read six verses to start with, but then we're going to keep jumping back into 1 Corinthians 15. So you're in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament, Romans, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. Before we read this, though, I want you to know that I'm praying for you, and the prayer I'm offering is this, the Lord be with you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. This is God's Word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So, another question for you. Do you believe good things are coming? And I'm not just thinking about the next few minutes because, of course, you're going to get some good stuff here, but do you think good things are coming this week or this month or this year? Do you expect good things to come? Okay, I'm getting lots of nods. That's good. I would expect that answer on Easter because it's a special day, right? So on these special days, we feel extra energy, extra confidence, extra motivation to think, yeah, God's at work. God's doing good things. We can expect good things to come. But on ordinary days, it can be a little more difficult for us to believe in good things. In fact, some days we face such challenges that it might almost be impossible for us to think 
good things are coming. We've been dealing with such difficulty. And I don't know about you, but I do sometimes look at the stats that are out there about our mental health. And apparently, the mental health of people in our culture is not so great right now. And it's been this way for a couple of years. We've had to deal with, you know, pandemic and with crisis and with political upheaval and violence and uh, divisiveness. All these things have led to us being less less optimistic, that we don't expect as much good as we used to expect. In fact, we are more likely to expect more of the same. So if I ask you what's coming, you might be more likely to say, well, we're going to get more anxiety, more worry, more economic hardship, more divisiveness, more anger, more violence. This is the things we're expecting. We're not expecting good things. So if you're in that mindset, um, you're not alone. Many of us wrestle with kind of despair, depression, or at least concern about what's coming. But today I want us to think about the impossible And for some, that impossible thing might be expecting a good thing. Now, what got me thinking about believing in the impossible impossible was actually reading the story Alice in Wonderland. Do you know this story? Okay, I've got a picture here of the original, from the original book. Most of people are familiar with the Mad Hatter and the Tea Party and Alice does all these bizarro things. And Maybe you're more familiar with the movie Alice in Wonderland. One thing jumped out at me in this book, and it was a conversation that the white queen had with Alice. The white queen said to Alice that she was 101 years old. And this is what Alice said. She said, I can't believe that. Can't you, the queen said in a pitying tone. Try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, said Alice. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour every day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. I'm curious how many of you sit around practicing believing in impossible things. I'm guessing most of us are kind of like Alice, and that is that we are unskilled in believing impossible things. We are the kind of people who tend to go with what we can hold or see or verify or prove. We don't like to go with the impossible. But I'm going to suggest that we need to learn from the Queen and from Alice and practice believing impossible things to help us overcome this unskill that we have. So we are the kind of people who believe in uh, praying. And because we believe in praying, we believe in listening. That's part of prayer. And when we listen to God, we can learn to believe impossible things. And that's what I'd like to try to practice in the next few minutes. But I'm going to take it easy on you. I'm not going to make you believe six unbelievable things. I'm going to try to do just three. Three unbelievable things to believe before lunch. Okay? The first one is believe an impossible story. Now, many people, when they talk about the gospel story, they make it overly complex and detailed. They give you lots of stuff and say, here's the gospel story. But in reality, the gospel story is very basic. It's very simple. The verses I read to you gave us some essential pieces of the gospel story. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, what I received I passed on to you is first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to scripture. Here is the, the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus lived and died, and he was buried, and he was raised again from the dead. This is it. Now, these are the basic elements, and it's simple, but we need to be honest about this story and say, even though it's simple, it can be difficult to believe. Like, impossible to believe, maybe, for some. I'm guessing there's maybe somebody in the room right now who's saying, well, that's an impossible story. This couldn't happen. Lived and died and raised again. This isn't what happens. You know, maybe we've seen things like resuscitation, like somebody who was dead or near death was brought back to life after a very short period of time. They were revived, resuscitated. But we don't often think about resurrection, somebody who was dead, long dead, being raised back to life after they've been dead. This is resurrection. It's a, it's, it's a little bit impossible to believe. And we have to be honest about that. Sometimes things hit me that make me think about how difficult this is to believe. And I had an experience this week. One, one of the fun things I get to do is I get to um, tell our preschool kids stories. So they were in this week to see me and ha- get the Easter story. So I had all the little preschool kids sitting here on the steps, three and four-year-olds, Okay. Now you have to grant, this is, a, this is a big monumental task. I'm going to tell them about resurrection, three and four-year-olds. Okay, to talk about resurrection, you've got to start with death. So I begin my little Easter time story by talking about the same Jesus we talked about at Christmas, baby in a manger, grew up to be a man. Some people hated Jesus, and so they condemned him to death. They nailed him to a cross. And as I'm telling this story, you can see on these little kids' face, they're just all so sad and depressed. Like, why are you telling us about this man being nailed to that? It had to hurt. It's very sad, and I admit that to them. But that's not the whole story. The good news is that after he died, they put him in a tomb, and three days later, they went back to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. And because it's three and four-year-olds, I try to keep saying the same thing over and over again. So maybe a dozen times in this story, I tell them, the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. This is the Easter story, right? You got it? The tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. So I go through the whole spiel, I give them everything I've got, and at the end, this little three-year-old girl looks me right in the face, very concerned, and says to me, where's Jesus? Good question. I don't know what to say because she's only three, so I say, the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, right? She looks at me again and she says, where's Jesus? I say, the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. I don't know how deep I can get into it with a three-year-old. And I was thinking about this story as she's thinking this is impossible, and she maybe did. But there was also this like childlike wonder, this childlike faith of like, well, where is Jesus? I, like, she believes. Like, this is too good to believe. This is the impossible story that we believe at Easter. That Jesus, who lived and died and was buried in a tomb, is alive and the tomb is empty. This is the impossible story that we start with. So the first thing you have to believe before lunch is this impossible story. Jesus is alive. And this leads to the second thing, which is to embrace an impossible truth. Because it's not just a story. There's a whole bunch of truths that are tied to this story that are very important. They're actually central to what we believe as Christians. And if you want to read about those, I'd say go read the rest of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll see some. I'll just point out a couple things. The point of this 
truth that Jesus is alive is that we need reassurance because it's a difficult thing to believe. And the people who lived in Jesus' day were no different than us. They had a difficult time. If you go back and read the gospel account of the resurrection, in each of the gospel, they all have a similar tone. The similar tone is this. They, they go to the tomb very early in the morning and they open the, the stone's been rolled away and they look in the tomb and the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And they're like shocked. They're like, how can this be? They ask in one version, the angel, how can this be? Where is he? Right? Um, in one of the versions, they go back and they report it to the disciples, and the disciples are like, what are you talking about? This doesn't even seem possible that this is happening. This is an incredulous story for everybody who was present. And the next paragraph in 1 Corinthians 15 brings this to light. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Or listen to the God's Word translation of this. If we have told you that Christ has been brought back to life, how can some of you say that coming back from the dead is impossible? You think this is an impossible truth we're telling you. It's impossible to believe. But then the case is made that, well, he appeared first to Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than 500, and they're still alive. You can go talk to them. They were eyewitness testimony. They have eyewitness testimony to this. The best testimony you can get, they were there. They spent time with him. They talked to him. They walked with him. Jesus was alive. Now, this impossible truth, we believe, is core to our faith because without this truth of the resurrection, without the truth that Jesus was bodily raised, um, we have no hope. And this is where this... Uh, I'm going to go into it with you like I couldn't go into it with a three-year-old, Okay. There are those who read the story of the resurrection and they go, this is a metaphorical thing, it's a symbolic thing, maybe it's psychological or emotional that, you know, the, the spirit of Jesus was raised to life or the, the spirit of God's love was raised to life. Or there's, there's something symbolic about this and they don't want to go as far as saying that his body was actually alive again. This is not what the story says. The truth we believe, as impossible as it sounds, is that the body was actually dead and the body actually was raised to life again. And this has implications for everything that happens because if Jesus' body was not raised, we're told, then we're fools for believing in Jesus. If there wasn't a physical resur resurrection, if Jesus is not raised, then we're still dead in our sins. There's, there's no payment for our sins without a risen Jesus. If Jesus is not raised, there's no forgiveness. If Jesus is not raised, there's no eternal life. If Jesus is not raised, then we are not raised. And if Jesus is not raised, then there's no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. If Jesus has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If there's not a bodily resurrection, then what are you doing here? What am I doing here? Verse 17. If Jesus has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Jesus, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the next paragraph, maybe the best in the whole chapter, goes on to say that Jesus was just the very first one to be raised from the dead, but because he was raised first, one day we all will be raised too. That there's a resurrection awaiting each one of us. 
and that this is coming because Jesus was physically raised from the dead. Listen to this great summary, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the very first person of those who have died to come back to life. Since man brought death, a man also brought life back from death. As everyone dies because of Adam, so also everyone will be made alive because of Christ. This will happen to each person in his own turn, but Christ is the first. Because he is raised from the dead, we can look forward to life, resurrection. Lots of places we could turn to, pro- to find this promise. My favorite is John 11. Jesus is meeting with Mary and Martha after Lazarus has died. He's dead and buried in the tomb. And they complain to Jesus, if you'd have come, you could have saved him. Jesus makes this beautiful promise to them. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, they will never die. Do you believe this? Because Jesus is alive, we believe this impossible truth. And it leads to the third impossibility, which is an impossible hope. This gives us hope. Now, we live in a culture that is death-denying. We're death-denying people. We're, we don't like to face it. We don't like to admit it. Um, we like logically get in the abstract that, yeah, there's a circle of life and it ends with death. Everyone's going to go there. But we don't like to think about it for ourselves, that this means I'm going to die. We're too uncomfortable with that, so we, we try to try to deny it. In fact, we deny it so much that many people refer to this like thing as the, the enemy, like the, the, this looming death is the final enemy. Even 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that in verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So it seems to me that we deny it all along and we're, we have this little hope that maybe we're going to be the one who this doesn't apply to. Now, because we're big death deniers, I'm going to do something that may be the rudest thing I could possibly do, and that is to say to all of you here on Easter Sunday that your death is inevitable. In fact, I could say it even more bluntly than that. You're going to die. Is that what you came to hear today? Um, We had a funeral here in this room Friday afternoon. There was a casket sitting right here. It was a casket of a woman... 98 years old, and she had hoped that she was going to live to 100. She was one of these feisty old women who just believed she was going to get there. She would say for years, I'm headed toward 100. But she didn't make it because none of us know the hour or the day when it's coming, but it's coming. And one day there'll be a casket for you and for me. So what hope do we possibly have? Well, here's the hope that comes because Jesus is alive, because he is risen. We hope that even that last enemy gets defeated. In fact, that's where this whole chapter ends, verses 54 to 57. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He's given us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the sting of death is. This is the impossible hope that we hold on to, that because Christ came and lived and died and rose again from the dead, 
Death has been defeated. Three words stand out to me on Easter, and it's these three words. Because he lives. We sang a little chorus just a moment ago. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know who holds the future. This is the impossible hope that we have. Now, Christianity is very different than all other religions, all other belief systems, anywhere else you could turn for hope. There's no other religious leader or prophet or philosopher. There's nobody else who claimed that they were going to die and then come back from the dead and then they actually did what they said they were going to do. No one else ever did that. In fact, Jesus is the only person in all of history who ever died and came back to life and never died again. This is the hope that we have. Jesus' resurrection destroys even the last enemy, death, and makes a way for us to eternal life. Because he lived, Jesus destroyed the enemy's most powerful and terrifying weapon against us, that weapon we dread. Because he lives, Jesus defeated the the curse, the death curse that comes from sin. Because he lived, Jesus absorbed God's judgment, the judgment we deserved. Because he lives, Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. Because he lives, we are more than conquerors. Because he lives, we have an impossible hope. Because he lives. This is all because of Easter. One of the commentators I was reading said this beautiful thing. He said it this way. Death is destroyed. Satan, the one who holds the power of death, is destroyed. Death and sin no longer have mastery. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. This is why the gospel, when it's properly understood, floods us with such delight and boldness, even in the face of death. We don't like to think about impossibilities. We don't like to think about the things we can't do. We like to think we're people strong and resilient and we, we can do whatever we want. But there's, we all have limitations. And um, there's things that are impossible for us to do. This verse jumped out at me, Matthew 19, 26. It's impossible for people to save themselves. But everything is possible for God. God can do anything. I was listening to this fantastic song yesterday. A couple different times it came up. Even the Impossible, you know the song? Its chorus says something like this. God, do what only you can do. I like that. There's stuff that's impossible for us, but it's, God can do it. And then the next line's even better. Even the impossible is possible for you. Even the impossible is possible for God. This helps me when I face my limitations. You know, um, I spell check my manuscript before I preach. I don't know why, because none of you get to read it anyway. But um, for some reason, when I did this last night, um, spell check did not like the word impossible. And every time I had it in this text, which was a lot, it said, don't you mean improbable? And so I had a little fight with Spellcheck last night. I'm like, no, I mean impossible. Because there's things we cannot do. But God can. Everything is possible with God. 
And so if you've been paying attention and thinking about this at any level, you've recognized that I've given you three impossible things to believe before lunchtime, but there's actually a whole bunch of other impossible things that are tied to it, right? A ton of them, impossible things. We believe, because of Easter, that God loves us. That God loves us in spite of the things we've done in our life. That there's nothing that can keep us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We believe that God sent his only son for us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. We believe that. We believe that our sins can be forgiven. That there's no sin so bad that it can't be forgiven. We believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And that that plan includes eternal life for those who trust in Jesus Christ. We believe that there's nothing God can't do. We believe that miracles still happen because of Easter, because he lives. We believe that good things are coming because of Easter, because he lives. This passage in 1 Corinthians 15 ends with this beautiful, triumphant word. Thanks be to God. He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, stand firm let nothing move you, because with God, anything is possible. And we believe that because of this impossible story with some impossible truths, and it gives us an impossible hope, because he is alive. Lord God, we come before you today, and I thank you for this Wonderful time that we've been able to gather here together. Thank you for these great people, for their um, worshiping together with us, for their sitting under the teaching of your word, for openness to God to learn and grow in understanding of what it means for us to follow you with all of our lives. I just thank you, God, for what you're doing. I stand on your promise right now from Philippians 1.6, which says that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. There's days when it seems like it's impossible that you could do a good thing, but God, we believe it. Not only will you do it, you'll do it completely. Nothing is impossible with you. I thank you for that, God, and we celebrate and praise you for that. God, I want to pray for anyone who's here right now in this place or someone who's watching online who's, who's facing circumstances that feel impossible to them. They're facing challenges, difficulties, hardships, prejudice, sickness, pain, whatever it might be, God, that you would wrap your strong arms around them, that you would lift them up and help them to recognize that because he lives, we believe in the impossible. God, we believe you can do anything. So meet each one of us where we most need it in that way. God, and we'll be careful to give you thanks for all that and, and acknowledge even in this moment that to, to come before you, to lift our praises to you, to bring our prayers to you and know that you've heard them all, every one of them. Not only the words that I've spoken out loud, but the prayers that have been um, offered up by each person here in the room. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers and for answering them. We know it's true because he lives. And we give you our thanks for that and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.